Amen. Good morning. How we doing? Okay, we have a choir. What's up with that? Can we get a little bit more for the choir? I'm wearing a tie. Thank you very much. Uh, I left my robe at home, so if you're new and you're expecting that, sorry, I didn't have the robe today. Um, but we are in a bar with a Christmas choir, a Christmas tree, and a tie with the pastor. That's pretty cool. But um, hey, it's Christmas. I'm excited. Um, I'm one of the pastors. We are doing an Advent series to prepare us for uh, the 25th, Christmas Day. And we're trying to create some space to invite Christ um, into our lives in a way that slows us down and prepares our hearts well. Um, so uh, I thought this morning uh, I would just kind of maybe share with you some of my thoughts on Christmas. And so if you have a Bible, pull it out. We're going to be bouncing around the entire scripture uh, from Genesis to uh, Matthew, uh, which if you know me at all, you know I love to start in Genesis. Um, and I'm going <clears> to <throat> just begin uh, just kind of telling you the good news of the Christmas story. So if you need a Bible, there's some around the room. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that with you. We are, we are doing a little series called The Caesars of Christmas. We're trying to uh, challenge the ways that we celebrate Christmas. Because um, in the first century, the, the gospel writers used the same language that were used for the Caesars to describe Jesus. So check this out. This is kind of the backdrop for our story today. Um, when, when Luke writes his gospel, he, he uses very particular language. He says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the Son of God. Um, he, his, th this announcement is called gospel. How many of you have heard gospel? Good news. That was borrowed by Luke from what was used to describe Caesar Augustus. And this is so important. So Caesar Augustus, before Jesus was even born yet, Caesar was known as Lord as savior his kingdom that he established was called salvation uh, he was known as the uh, bringer of peace he was known as the son of god and his proclamation of his military conquest this is caesar was called gospel good news so why would luke use the same language that was used for caesar you ever catch this the simple answer is this in the roman empire you could worship anyone you wanted to as long as you also worship the caesars but when you start to use the same language that are, that's used to describe the Caesars, you now have to define which God is God. Because if Jesus is Lord, that means what? Caesar is not. You with me? If Jesus is the bringer of peace, Caesar didn't. So there's, it's a definition of terms. It's a call to arms. It's a line in the sand. And for us, um, 2,000 years later, it's very clear that there are other gods that we can worship. Would you agree that it's very easy to worship ourselves? It's very easy to worship consumerism and to, to fall into a life of busyness that just simply attaches, attaches Jesus to our lives like it's an accessory, not the king and God of the universe that redefines our entire existence. Are you with me? So that's, that's what we've been talking about, a really light subject really on Sunday mornings. But <clears throat> this morning, I'm going to change directions a little bit and just talk about the, the good news of the Christmas story. So um, do you ever wonder why around this time of year people are nicer? You notice that? Or why more people give to charities from uh, the first 25 days of, of December? More people spend time volunteering at soup kitchens. More people, they inconvenience themselves by collecting toys at their workplaces to give to kids that won't have toys on uh, December 25th. 
You ever wonder why we continue to celebrate this story of a baby being born in a barn 2,000 years later? I mean, it's only in two of the four gospel narratives. Jesus never talks about his birth. Mark doesn't include it. John doesn't include it. And Matthew kind of just runs over it and just gives us a perspective from Joseph. So why, why, do we, why is it such a significant story to tell? And um, So this morning I want to kind of pose those questions and just give us maybe the, the, the wider view of what actually is happening when we come on Christmas morning to open presents and celebrate with families and read the narrative that's, that's in our Gospels. So uh, go to Genesis in the beginning. So the Christmas story begins in Genesis. So you have to keep up. Um, I'm going to move kind of fast. Obviously, I move fast. I get excited and I talk quick. Um, and I'm learning to appreciate that about myself. Hopefully, you too. So keep up. <coughs> We're going to Genesis chapter 3. Um, but so this is the story. We're going to begin telling the Christmas story where it begins in Genesis. So Genesis 1, God creates what? Everything. Right? So he creates the heavens and the earth. He creates humanity. And when he creates humanity, he says it's very good. So everything is created and it's good. It's, it's designed to do what it's intended to do. Humanity is in right relationship with themselves, right relationship with each other, right relationship with all creation, and most importantly, right relationship to God. So we know that this is how the story begins. It begins with humanity, Adam and Eve, existing in perfect harmony with God in the garden. That's where the story begins. But in Genesis chapter 3, what happens? We disobey. We are told not to eat of a certain tree and a certain fruit, and we eat of that tree, and something happens. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says this. Um, after they ate from the tree, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And listen to this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord, God came among the tre- uh, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to them, "Where are you?" So the story begins. We're in perfect relationship with God. God creates everything, and God apparently, according to Genesis three, regularly regularly comes to the garden to walk with Adam and Eve. What kind of story is this? that talks about a God who walks with his people, that is among his people. And what kind of story is this that when, when we mess up, God comes and is searching for Adam and Eve and they hide? Doesn't God have anything better to do? He just created the cosmos and everything in it, and now they mess up and he's searching for humanity. You see, the, the, the thing about Christmas is that in many ways, it is the ultimate expression of God's loving pursuit for humanity. That ever since this story takes place, since Genesis chapter 3, God has been on a loving pursuit to restore what was broken. You see, apparently in Genesis 1 and 2, God regularly uh, communed with creation, with humanity, regularly had a relationship with him, walked among his people. And by Genesis 3, this became distorted. He couldn't relate perfectly with us anymore. And so sin created a barrier between us and God. But we know this story. 
right? You know, I've told this story a hundred times, I feel like. We, 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 we know that the story in Genesis 3 is that God uh, begins to restore what was broken. What was broken in Genesis 3 is that we were no longer in right relationship with God. That meant we're no longer in right relationship with each other. Do we need proof of this today? We're no longer in right relationship with ourselves. Do we need proof of that? How many are anxious? How many of you are insecure? How many of us have body image issues? How many of us are living out of fear? How many of us are trying to control relationships around us because we don't want to get hurt like back then? Do we need to, do we need any more evidence other than our own lives to recognize that there is, there is something missing in ourselves? But the story doesn't end there, right? The story continues. And so if you would, uh, let's just jump over to Exodus. So God begins to redeem what was lost in, in the garden. And he does this by calling people. And they're called the Israelites. How many of you have heard, heard of the Israelites? Right, show of hands. Thank you. Oh, great. More of you. Good. You're, we're doing good here. Uh, so what I want to communicate this morning is, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel. So we get to the Israelites, and the Israelites were this, these groups of, uh, a group of slaves that God calls out of Egypt, frees them, and he says, look, you guys are going to live in a certain way, and the way you live is going to reveal my presence and my existence to everyone else on earth. Check this out. So he says, the, the, the key for the Israelites' success is that they live in a way that when people on the outside looking in say there has to be a God, look at how these people live. So that's what the law is. If you read the Old Testament and you're like, oh, it's so full of all these rules and rituals and, and regulations. Well, it's attempting to create a type of society that lives in a way that reveals God. And so um, God's desire, though, is not just to have them live a certain way. But let's look at what he says in uh, Exodus 25. Are you there? Verse 8. So this is God giving a bunch of laws. And then he gets to them. And he says, hey, He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to Moses to the Israelites. Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. So garden, uh, I'm sorry, God dwells with humanity in the garden, but because of sin, he no longer is in right relationship with them. And he no longer can dwell among them because of what, what we did because of sin. And if you read the story of Genesis, things just go south quickly. By the fourth chapter, there's a murder. Right by by another chapter, by chapter six or seven, people are building a tower. Um, by chapter eleven, excuse me, they're building a tower to um, to uh, to displace God. They're saying we don't need God; we need each other and, and technology. And so the story just gets uh, further and further away from God until God shows up and frees the nation of Israel. And when He frees the nation of Israel, He says, "You guys are going to represent Me on earth." But here's what's going to stick out: My presence will make you different from everyone else. I will dwell among you. My presence will be with you. What will separate you from the rest of the world? My presence. So he says, build this traveling sanctuary, this tabernacle, and I will dwell among you. So God is getting closer to creation again. Are you with me? Does anybody want this history lesson? Let's go to Le Leviticus. We'll keep going. This, like I said, this is my reflection on Christmas. So this is for me this morning. Merry Christmas. My gift to you. Let's just look at some more Old Testament. Leviticus 26. This will all come together when we land in the New Testament because we've got to see the big picture. Uh, this is God with more laws, more, um, more legal system that he's creating for these, the, the Israelites to live in. But then he, he tells them what he desires. This is what God is saying to his people. The people of God, God desires this. Verse 11 of chapter 26. I will put my dwelling place among you. Verse 12, I will walk among you 
and be your God and you will be my people. What's God's desire again? To walk among his people. His desire is not just to have a sanctuary where people come and visit, but to walk again with his people. And we know the story, right? Do they, do they live the way God intended them to live? I know the story. No, they don't. Go to 1 Kings chapter 8 real quick. 1 Kings chapter 8. We're just following the story of the Old Testament to get to the place that we're going to land this morning. Um, so 1 Kings. So the Israelites build this tabernacle where God's presence rests. People bring their offerings. Um, God's, God's spirit is dwelling among the people of Israel. But God's real desire is to walk among his people again. Eventually, though, the Israelites build a temple. They build a permanent sanctuary, a permanent place where God's presence will permanently rest once and for all. That's the point. They build a city called Jerusalem, and at the heart of the city is this temple. And when, when they dedicate the temple, Solomon dedicates the temple. This is what happens in verse 10 of chapter 8, 1 Kings. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple um, of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because the cloud because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Okay, let's just picture what's going on. I want you to just pull back. Okay, imagine this big narrative being told. God's intimately walking with creation and then that gets destroyed. God is no longer intimate with creation, but God is on a pursuit to restore what was lost in the garden. So he calls the people to live, with, um, to live in a certain way and his presence dwells at the heart of the people in, in, a, in a tabernacle, his dwelling place. But his real heart is to once again walk with his people. Eventually they get a city and they build this beautiful temple. And when his presence comes, the priests that are designed to lead worship and offer sacrifices, they can't even do that because of the glory, the Shekinah glory, the weight of God is just dwelling among the, uh, the temple and the priests lay on the floor and they couldn't do anything. Anything. Okay? God is getting closer and closer and closer and closer to humanity. Eventually, in the story, they reject God again. Okay? The temple is destroyed. God's presence is nowhere to be found. The, the Israelites are, are, are rejected. They are, they, are, um, they are massacred by the Babylonians. They are exiled to Babylon. Um, prophets rise up saying there will one day be a Messiah that comes that restores what was lost. The presence of God will be among his people once again and once and for all. This, Joel talks about the spirit of God resting on all people. God will be their God. Eventually, Nehemiah comes back, rebuilds that temple, and they dedicate the temple. And what happens? Have you read the story of Nehemiah? The story of Nehemiah is when the temple is rededicated, the Israelites celebrate and they weep because God's presence doesn't come like it did in the past. And the end of the Old Testament, it ends with this longing and waiting for God to do something. For God to walk among his people once and again. But for 430 years, there's silence. It's 430 years from the Old Testament to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 430 years to the birth of Jesus. Literally 430 years of silence. Longing and waiting for God to be and do something for Israel. And then we pick up this Christmas story. We pick up this Christmas story in um, Luke chapter 2. So if you would, go to Luke chapter 2. 
the Israelites are waiting for God to do something, waiting for God's presence to emerge, waiting for God to, to fulfill the promises that he will walk again with his people. And the, uh, at this time, uh, the Israelites were first oppressed by the Babylonians, they, and then they were conquered by Persia, and then they were conquered by the Greeks, by Alexander the Great, and then the Israelites were conquered by the Romans. So when we pick up the story at this point, they're living in occupied territory. Their land, their temple is being watched and ruled by the Roman guards. Are you with me? Okay, so we pick up the story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went, through the uh, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to the firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And, the shepherds were, were shep uh, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. It's the same word from the Old Testament. And they were terrified, but they said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of, of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. It's hard for us to get to this place where we understand the longing that the Israelites would have had for God to move. Now imagine if you were told that your king, the king of the Jews, would be the king of the world. That you were to live in a way that would reveal glory to the world, that of, of, I'm sorry, God's glory to the entire world. The prophets would say that all of the nations would gather in Jerusalem to learn from you. And you lived with a military superpower occupying the very land that was promised to you from, from, from your past. And your God was nowhere to be found. The only God there was, the God that you could experience, was a God named Caesar. A God who's, who, who oppressed everything and everyone in his path. Rome was a military superpower. And when we talk about a census, we didn't really get into the details. A census is, 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 uh, is something that they did in the first century to count how many people were in the empire. And why would you count how many people were in the empire? To find out how much money you could get from taxing them. And what were taxes? Taxes were a way to pay the armies that the Roman Empire used to conquer all of the world. So you, or, so you have a teenage couple going from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem to pay taxes to a, a military superpower. We're talking about oppression. We're talking about injustice. We're talking about the, the worst type of story we could tell. And what, God, what the story is is a juxtaposition that they're... Um, Excuse me, that, that Jesus being born in a manger is a juxtaposed against Caesar being sat on a throne, causing this, this couple to travel across, across the country pregnant, ready for a baby. So we have this picture of, of military conquest and this new king being born. That's the Christmas story that we're told. That's, that's one element. And we already talked about that three weeks ago. But then there's another story that's told. So go to Matthew and I'll land here, and um, hopefully my rambling will, will come to land. Now, so, so 
Luke gives us a political agenda. Luke gives us a political agenda. He's forcing us to decide which God is God. Matthew gives us the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Matthew gives us the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Listen to the language that Matthew uses in Matthew chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 20. And this is his, his storytelling for how Jesus' birth came, to, came about. Verse 18, excuse me. Um, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So first of all, Jesus' first name, the name that we know him is a Hebrew name, Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. So his first title is that the the ministry, the vocation of Jesus will be saving the people from their sins. But then there's this interesting passage. It's like the angel gives him two names. Verse 22, it says, All this took place to what? Fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you go to John's gospel, it says the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we, we observed his glory. What Matthew is doing is Matthew is tying the narrative of the entire Old Testament of, of once and for all God restoring uh, everything back to himself by walking with humanity again. And the title that Jesus has given is Emmanuel, God with us. What does this mean for us today? Why, why do we celebrate a story like Christmas? And please don't say because it's in the Bible. And this is what I'm trying to get to. I guess as I was reflecting on this, I was wondering how do I talk about Christmas in a way that takes away the Christian language and doesn't just tell people, well, the Bible says so. How do we talk about Christmas in a way that is far greater and more meaningful for people that are living in despair? People that are longing for hope. How do we talk about this story in a way that makes sense to our friends that don't have the paradigm that we have, that don't have the Old Testament narrative of the story? Well, when, when, when Matthew writes this, he's saying this is good news. Why is it good news? It's good news because God didn't stand back from creation. He entered back into the story. He doesn't just abandon us or leave us to ourselves. He enters back into the story in the most intimate way possible. Christmas is God saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. Christmas is God saying, in the midst of the brokenness and pain you have, I'm here. Where does it hurt? In the midst of the sin from Saturday, Sunday morning, God's saying, I'll enter into that mess because I'm always with you. Christmas is God saying, I know what it feels like. When your marriage fizzles out, I know what it feels like. When your friends leave you and desert you, I know what it feels like. When your kids aren't behaving and you don't know how to afford the next, uh, the next meal, he says, I know what it feels like. Christmas is the ultimate, ultimate way of God walking among us. It says he became flesh and blood. He took up residence through Jesus Christ so that we can never say to God, you don't know what it feels like. 
He says to us, where our past has become overwhelming, I'm here. When your dreams don't come true, I'm with you. When death is knocking at your door, I'm with you. When there's an uncertain diagnosis, I'm with you. When the addiction just won't leave you, and you don't know why you do what it is you do, but you can only cry out to the guy who knows, the God who knows exactly what you're going through, I'm with you. Yes, we need a theological paradigm of how Genesis is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Of how Exodus and Leviticus and First, First Kings and Isaiah make sense. And that's my goal is to give us a theological education. But how do we talk to people in a way that makes sense? We say birth is the ultimate expression of new life. Isn't it? Maybe this is why we're celebrating Christmas. Because Christmas pushes back against all the other Caesars of the world. All the other gods, all the other false gods that we have. All the other false images of Jesus we carry. For those of us that think God's somewhere else, Christmas says he's right here. For those of us that say he doesn't care, he does care. For those of us that say, well, he's just a cosmic cop waiting for me to mess up and he's just going to write me a ticket when I, when I get up to heaven. He's here. For those of us that say it's an evacuation escape plan that I've got a ticket to heaven, I'm going to go somewhere else. God invaded earth. Is the best line to those that don't know Jesus that we're going to get them out of here? Or do we not recognize that maybe God's looking for the type of people that he can dwell with? That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is God with us, God with you. A God who does everything to enter into your story, into the hurting places of your life to bring healing. What's interesting about the wilderness story in Exodus, and I love it, is that they were in the wilderness, they were in the desert. God doesn't take them out of the desert. He dwells with them in the desert. For those of you that need your, the past and the memories that literally haunt your present and your future, he comes into those places and can bring redemption and freedom. For those of you that have been hurt by relationships and you think divorce has the final say on your love life, he says, I'm here, Emmanuel. He comes to teach us patience. He comes to teach us forgiveness. For those of us that have a heaviness in life and we think we're all alone, God says, I'm with you. Do you know what type of story this is? Christmas is about something new. Christmas is about new life being born in the least likely places. This happened in a barn. Where can it happen in your life? If you, never, if you never saw it coming with an oppressed teenage couple, where do you, do you not see it coming in your own life? Christmas is the proclamation that life doesn't have to be the way it's always been. That there's another way to live. Right? So there's Caesar's way. Anxiety, pain, death, destruction, brokenness. Hurt. I was talking earlier today, I have friends that are grieving the loss of their dad who passed away years ago. Grieving the loss of family that they can't visit halfway around the country. That life doesn't have to be this way. Jesus offers us what? Life, peace, joy, hope. Something new can birth, be birthed into your present life. Um, again, this is, this is from my perspective. Here, Think about this for a moment. Maybe you need to think about Christmas this way. And maybe this will help you articulate, um, at least for me it does, why we celebrate this story. I want you to do this. Maybe some of you can close your eyes. Picture a young man 
Picture a young man standing in the hospital and his wife just gave birth to their firstborn child. This young man never knew his dad. His father deserted him and his family at a young age. And so he had to figure out what it means to be a dad, all, a man all by himself. Every Christmas, every holiday, every birthday, every big game, every event, this guy was alone. He was alone. There was no dad. But there he is. He's holding his firstborn child. He's looking in his eyes of his baby boy. What is he thinking at that moment? Can you get into the head of the young man that's standing in the hospital, holding his firstborn, looking in his eyes? What is he thinking in that moment? This baby boy that just was given birth. What's he thinking? He's thinking, I'm not going to desert him, right? I'm going to do it different. He will never be alone. I will be with him. I'm going to be there. He's going to do it differently. And why is he going to do it differently? What brought this resolve? A birth. Birth is the ultimate antidote to despair. A birth is living, breathing hope that something new can come into this world. Despair is the disease of our era. And despair is the terror that things will always be as they are. You're full of anxiety, you're going to live that way for the rest of your life. You were diagnosed with brokenness or a pain, you're going to have that the rest of your life. You're an addict, you're going to be an addict the rest of your life. You, uh, your family rejects you, your family's going to reject you for the rest of your life. This is how it's always been and it will always be. But birth threatens despair. The instant something new can be born in this world. Are you with me? This is why we celebrate Christmas. Because after a school shooting... Like last week, after death in our own church, after exhaustion and anxiety, we need something new to be born in us today. We need Emmanuel. So my question is, what new do you need today? What do you want to be birthed in you right now? I think this is why the manger resonates with our society because birth, of course, can come from all sorts of places. But more importantly, there's nothing like new life to break old cycles and threaten despair. Let me just share why I share this with you. So as I was praying through Emmanuel, I just recognized, what is Christmas for me? Let me tell you, I'm exhausted. I'm depressed. Every time I slow down, I recognize a deep sadness in my soul. I don't know where it comes from. I'm full of anxiety, literally full of anxiety and stress. I was in the hospital because of how I deal with stress and anxiety. I have, waiting on a diag- I'm waiting to get feedback from the hospital. It's been two and a half weeks to know what it is, and probably it's just stress. How crazy is that? I'm more stressed today than last year. I'm more tired today than last year. This year has weighed heavily on my soul. I've worried more about success than ever before. 
I worried about, I worry about money, about finances. There are patterns in my life that I want to change. There are continual habits that I fight with my wife, the same type of thing as I do premarital. It's like the same one issue over and over again since we started dating. There are things in my life that weigh so heavy on me. And Christmas, for me, is about living this next season with a lightness, with peace, Literally with joy, but not like the fake cliche peace, joy, and love, but literally the tangible peace, love, and joy. The joy that allows me to shut off work. The peace that allows me to walk into a Sunday morning and know that it's not about me, it's about God. That's what I need. That's Christmas. That's Emmanuel for me. What is it for you? Some of you literally have been hurt by someone. And you carry that pain with walls and baggage and you've managed life by controlling the outcomes, by managing relationships, by controlling the expectations of others, by walking in unforgiveness and allowing those walls to keep people from coming in. And Emmanuel is learning forgiveness. Emmanuel is allowing God to come into that painful experience and say, God, I don't know how to fix myself, but you're here. Be here with me. Some of you are literally carrying around a disease, a sickness that has defined you. Emmanuel is recognizing that 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 identity doesn't have to define you anymore. I don't know what it is. I, I honestly don't know what it is, but we all have things that can be birthed in us. You with me? So this Christmas is about celebrating the good news. What is the good news? Life doesn't have to be the way it was and has been. Is that a good news? So as we go out, here's my, I'm going to have the team and the choir come up and celebrate. It's It's amazing that we get to celebrate this type of God. You see, every other religion, you have to work your way up, right? You have to do all these things. Christmas is God invading our lives to do it for us, to invite us into it, and to be with us in it. Some of you are in desert places. I know it's going to take a while for the choir to come up, so go ahead and come up. I'll keep talking. I mean, there's like 50 of you. Or seven. But this is what's so fun about Christmas is I think about I, I was I was carrying a mattress. I don't know why. OK, I'm going to go with it. Um, so we have family come that family staying with us for Christmas. Alex's family have, has, have, have come down and we are uh, preparing our house and we have this massive queen size mattress in our garage and it weighs probably 150, 180 pounds at least. It's like old school, super old. Um, and obviously I can carry it, but, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I dragged this thing from our garage into our house. Okay. And do you have any idea? I'm like breaking limbs trying to get this thing up there and it is the hardest thing. And I don't want my, my little tiny five foot three wife to do anything like, like to help me with this massive thing. But I did, I'm like, babe, can you just help me get up the stairs? And it, it was, it was easy. So many of us are carrying our lives in the same way. It's a mattress story. I don't know. But God comes to carry our mattress with us. Yeah! <laughs> so this, this Christmas, let God carry your mattress. <laughs> I don't know how to land the plane. So let me land it like this. <laughs> 
We need to record the 9 a.m. This is so good. So let me end with this. Guys, what do you need new birth in your life? Where do you need Emmanuel? My brother needs some, some, uh, a lightness. He, he's walking in depression. He needs God to meet him in his depression. Some of you have absolute chaos in your family. You need peace. Some of you are feeling lonely. You need companionship. God's with you. What does it look like? Amen? All right, let me pray. Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to just give us peace in a season of chaos and that your story is, is epic, that it's not in isolation, it's not in, um, done in a vacuum, but the, the gospel story, the narrative of, and the good news is found in Christmas. It's found in um, uh, teenage parents giving birth to your, your son, Jesus of Nazareth, in a small country in the middle of a, a major empire that was oppressed challenging the systems and bringing new life and hope lord I, I thank you that one of the titles and ways that you minister is with us so lord jesus i pray for our, our lives that where we need emmanuel you would give us emmanuel where we need hope where we need companionship where we need a god walking with us that you give us that word.